Now, typically, I have an enormously long introduction before I ever get to the study. Um, but we're going to honor the Word today, so we're going to just begin with the reading of the Word. And so, um, and I, I'm not going to promise you that we're going to do that from here on out, but today we will. So if you would stand for the reading of the Word of the Lord, Galatians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Galatia, and uh, he's gone through an entire um, declaration of what it means to walk in the Spirit. He also talks about walking in the flesh. He talks about how people struggle. And then he picks up in the very last chapter, and he uses this opening word, which is brethren. And uh, the word brethren means the, the fellowship of believers, even though it's male in orientation, it means all of us. So I just wanted to get you all prepared for that in case you're struggling with the pronouns. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own, now some of you have the translation load, actually in the Greek it's burden. For each one shall bear his own burden. Lord, I thank you for this passage. Holy Spirit, how you've placed it upon my heart and how it's so important, a seminal event in the life of this fellowship that today you want to instill in us a profound understanding of this passage as we not only study it, but we apply it. And so, God, I ask that you would do an amazing work as only you can. And so, Lord, we commit our lives to you. Speak to us, God. Apply this in such a way that we'll be forever changed. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat, if you would. So, uh, this passage came to my heart last night. Uh, flying back from Phoenix. I was in uh, Kalispell, Montana most of this week um, working through some major issues with Pottersfield Ministries. And as I've shared in the past, I, I've been, for whatever reason, appointed to help reconcile and restore this ministry. And um, I didn't realize it would be the enormity of work that it is now proven to be And we resume um, as a council on August 27th, and so my time will be severely limited, and I was hoping to have it all wrapped up by then. (laughs) How naive I am. It's taken on a a whole different dimension. Um, We've we've managed to um, restore the sponsorship program and we're still taking care of the kids overseas and the missionaries overseas. But the Ignite program, which is a discipleship program, has been shut down. 
and uh, processing the staff leaving down to a handful and facing um, just the intensity of social media having been tried without due process, the ministry, as I shared before, in 72 hours was pretty much decimated. And as we're trying to secure it um, and, and close down Operation Stateside, we're trying to sell some of the properties. And um, it, was, it was intense, and I was on a conference call with the Attorney General's office in Montana that had um, stopped the sale of one of the properties, which was really important to us. And I asked why, um, because I said, is this uniform practice that you do this with all 501c3s that every sale of a property they own has to be run through the attorney general's office? And I said, the, the statute that you listed doesn't read that way. And they said, well, in your case, I said, well, what, what is different in our case? We, we, we don't have any violations. There's, well, I said, so in the court of public opinion or social media, we've been judged and now we're under scrutiny and we can't do any of this. And we went back and forth and there were three people on the conference call on that end and myself on this end and I'm no attorney. And two of the folks on the other end were very sympathetic, even expressing their faith, interestingly enough, as public servants. But the third person was not very nice and um, difficult to work with. And it got to a point where they stated to me, sir, I'm a public servant and I have no desire to hinder a 501c3. And I said, you're in Missoula? And they said, yes. I said, that's a city of under 100,000, isn't it? I mean, I don't know that there's a city in all of Montana that has more than 150,000. And they said, yes. I said, well, I too am a public servant of a city of 167,000, I'm the mayor. I understand public service. I, I don't need to be lectured. That's where it started to go south. <laughs> a gentle answer turns away wrath. <laughs> I should have read that. <laughs> Suffice it to say, it didn't go real well. And, um, and so that was difficult. And it really just put a wrench in the opportunity to kind of settle this and get things moving in that capacity. And I, I really, at that point, was, I didn't know what to do. Um, I'd kind of, my bandwidth was full and I didn't know really what the next step was. And I was asking God for wisdom. And, and prior to arriving in Kalispell, I'd gotten in, well, prior to that event in Kalispell, I had arrived at midnight um, on Wednesday and uh, Mike Rizell picked me up at the airport. And then we went back to where I was staying and uh, we, we talked till, gosh, almost three in the morning. Uh, and then I had to be up in the morning for all these events. And in that conversation with Mike, uh, it, was, it was really touching to me because I had seen how the Spirit of the Lord had moved upon him to reconcile with the folks that he had offended. And I saw a change in him that was really profound and I was touched by it. And we were making great inroads spiritually, ministerially. And I was, I was moved by it. And then the next day comes and we get the news from the Attorney General and... Um, and then Mike gets into this. He, he's, he's a visionary. I, I call him the mad scientist. And never put a mad scientist over any organization or in charge of it because then it gets weird. Some of you know what I speak of. And 
He's concerned about, he's, you know, what am I going to do for a living? I, 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 I have nothing. I don't know what to do. And he's starting to spin in this capacity. So the night before where he was yielded and, and still before God, the next day he's just gone off the rails. And I'm dealing with this and this, and then I got him. And it goes all day long. And it's affecting the limited personnel that are there. They're struggling. They've got their own issues. And it's just getting a little chaotic. So finally, the, the evening concludes uh, for another long conversation like we had the night before. And we're in the place I'm staying till again, 2 in the morning. And I finally get to a place where I'm frustrated with him. And, and I, just, I just tell him. I just said, you know what? You're, you're, it's all about you. He goes, well, I feel like I've gotten a life sentence for a speeding ticket. I said, well, that's an interesting way to look at it. 450 kids have come through this program. 75 have expressed being hurt by it. And the kids you're dealing with are the ones whose lives have been an absolute shambles. And, and, and you're worried about what you're going to do for a living? And you say you're broke? You have more money than I do. And then I, I got to this place where I'm like, I don't have a dog in this fight. I don't even know why I'm here. I'd rather be home with my son who has one week left on his summer break, my other son who went back to school. I'd like to be with my wife. I'd like to be with her, and I don't want to be here. And every night, I'm sitting with you. And I said, I'm trying to help, and I'm trying to operate in this capacity, and you're back in this spin about you, you, you. And I said, and you're talking about how broke you are and, and, and how, and I said, I'm tired. And, I, and I, I'm listening, I get it. But really, why is it about you? I said, you know what? I said, I, I'm leaving here tomorrow and I'm going to Phoenix to say goodbye to my hero. I said, I, I, I got struggles in my own life too. And then all of a sudden, the Lord reminded me of my hero a lot of you met him. He came here a few years ago for my son's Eagle Scout Award. Um, I asked him if he'd come, and he did. He was the man I, I can attribute to having saved my life. He wasn't a Christian, or I didn't know him to be, uh, but he was my swim coach. I was in a lot of trouble. Um, I had no direction in life. And I ended up on his team because my dad and my brother forced me to. One of the hardest men I've ever met in all my life. And, um, and I swam for him. I swam on his team and he was a two-time gold medal winner. He had won uh, two gold medals in the 1960 Olympics in Rome. Uh, 200, 200 meter butterfly, his name's Mike Troy. He broke his own world record seven times. Um, you can see the gold medals on the left, and uh, there he is on the, the stand in the bottom, having won the gold medal. Amazing guy. Um, here you see him on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and that's kind of how you remember him there. Um, my left, your right, when he came to visit us. Some of you who were there that day probably remember, I, I try to forget, but he said, he, he came to my son's uh, Eagle Scout event, 
and then he spoke in church. And um, he said this in the church. He said, Rob didn't have any talent. That hurt on the inside. And they said, but what I admired about Rob is he had character and, he, and tenacity and he wouldn't quit. Well, okay. And I thought, I'm in his, I'm in his memory and that's how he perceives me. My dad was a busy man and I've taken up his mantle. I too am a busy man. I was the youngest of four kids and by the time I was of impressionable age, my dad was, had risen in responsibility and was not home a lot. He had been in Vietnam a number of occasions and and so the raising of me as a young man fell to the responsibility of two men, John Sanford, who was also there that day, and Mike Troy. There's a term in Latin called in loco parentis, which means in the absence of your parents, they will become that. My dad relied on Mike Troy and John Sanford to raise me as a man. I'm grateful for that, as I'm grateful for Bob Shewitt and Scott Nave, Mike Balikian, Rob Peters, and a number of other men and women who have been instrumental in our Boy Scout troop, Troop 711, here at our church. They have been, in the absence of me parenting my boys, in loco parentis. They've taken Daniel and Michael on camping trips, uh, Boy Scout camp, adventures, walked them through skills of life, instilled in them instruction on character, and they've done a remarkable job, of which I'm eternally grateful. Both my boys obtained Eagle as a result of the efforts of these folks. Much like Mike Troy and John Sanford did in my life, these men and women did in the life, lives of my boys. My dad was grateful too. And Mike, Mike Troy was bigger than life to me. I went to Phoenix to say goodbye to him. He had passed away. They had a memorial service at the Hilton, Phoenix, Mesa area. My brother also swam and coached with Mike, and so we both met. He flew in from Ontario. I came in from Kalispell, and we went to the hotel together and did the event together. It was good to catch up with my brother. He's nine years older than me. I had swam for Mike at Coronado Navy Swim Association. I also swam for him at the Walnut Creek Aqua Bears, and I was one of the only people there that had been on both teams. So I saw a bunch of people with shirts on that said Walnut Creek Aqua Bears, and they looked older, so I was thinking they probably don't know me because they swam before I was there, but I went over to introduce myself only to find out that they were all younger than I am. So I decided to pull up my socks, only realizing I wasn't wearing any wrinkles. Anyways, uh, it was a little bit of a shocker. 
And there weren't a lot of folks from Coronado there because they're doing another memorial service for him in Coronado, but there was a handful of us there. Mike was not only a gold medal winner, but he was also SEAL Team 1 underwater demolition team, Vietnam, two tours. He uh, received the Silver Star for Valor, third highest award given. He was scheduled to go on a third tour of Vietnam, but was asked to stay back because the casualty rate was so high with with the teams that they wanted Mike to train them because Mike had had two tours under his belt. And so he, he trained the next classes. My best friend in high school, Commander Bruce Morris, who retired from the Navy when his wife died of brain cancer, then went into government service after her passing, and he's now what's called the Shadow Admiral of DevGrew, which is SEAL Team 6 and all the Naval Special Warfare based in Coronado Amphibious Base. He has a doctorate in oceanography, and both Bruce and I swam and trained under Mike, and Bruce went on to be a SEAL. My nephew, um, Lieutenant Commander Sam Blair, SEAL Team 7, is now an instructor at the Naval Academy. He knew Mike. Both of these men, Sam and Bruce, went through the SEAL training. And both of them have shared with me on separate occasions that Mike Troy is revered in the teams to this day because he was the hardest instructor that anyone has ever had. He wasn't going to let anyone else die in Vietnam. I never went through SEAL training, but by Bruce's admission, Mike was a harder coach than he was a SEAL team trainer. So I think I experienced the brunt of it. Mike was hard. And as I was with Mike Rizel in Kalispell, listening to him cycle on his whining, and getting frustrated and him expressing how broke he is and how tired he is, how weak he is. I was thinking about my trip, my pending trip to Phoenix to say goodbye to my mentor and I remembered a lesson that Mike Troy had taught me that I was now going to give to Mike Rizel. I said it was 1981, so I want to tell you a story. I told him about this man and where I was going. and I said it was 1981, it was a morning practice that began at 5 a.m., and if you got in the water late, you would pay the penalty. You had to be up at 4 in the water by 5. You had to have a half hour of stretching, and you went all the way to 7 o'clock. I'd have to hurry home, shower, eat whatever I could, and get to my first class. And that morning, Mike decided to say, we're all going to do eight 200 butterflies, 200-yard butterflies, on a 2.30 interval. A lot of you have no idea what that means, but a 2.30 interval, most people can't do a 200-yard butterfly under two, two minutes and 30 seconds, but you're doing eight of these on that interval, which means if you come in under 2.30, you, you get that much rest, and then you have to leave on the 30. It's brutal. I made five of them. I missed on the sixth one. He said, you're going to do eight. You're going to start over. 
I was noodled. I got the six and missed the seventh. Made me do it again. But this time, he's a little more lenient. He said, you're not going to miss another interval, but I'll credit you for a handful of them. By this time, my dad showed up because it's past seven. He says, my boy has to get to school. He said, Captain McCoy, and Mike had been a lieutenant in the Navy, understood rank. He said, Captain McCoy, um, this is critical. He's going to stay until he does this. He may miss a couple classes. My dad said, okay. (laughs) Most parents would be like, this is abuse. Not my dad. He's like, have your way with the fella. <laughs> Fix this kid. It took me till 9.30 that morning to finish. I was tired. I was so weak, shaking. Mike took me aside as I'm getting out of the water. He said, Ready? Yes? Listen to me. Yes? You're never as tired or as weak as you think you are. Now go to school. I recounted, well, I don't know what that is, but I recounted the entire story for Mike Rizell from beginning to end. I said, Mike, you're not as broke as you think you are. You're not as weak as you think you are, and you're not as tired as you think you are. Quit whining. He said I didn't have any talent, but he said I had tenacity and character, and I wouldn't quit. When I got to the memorial service, I heard testimony after testimony of folks who had swam for Mike Troy, and we came to understand a secret he'd never told anyone else. Everyone who spoke said, Mike said, I didn't have any talent. (laughs) And all of a sudden, an an epiphany hit the room. Mike didn't value talent. Talent's like beauty, it's superficial. He wasn't training swimmers. He was training people for life. It wasn't about winning. It was about succeeding in life. It was about character. You could feel it hit the whole room. I don't miss swimming. But there isn't a day that goes by that I don't reflect on the lessons this man has taught me. And as I got on the plane to come home, the Lord gave me this passage of Scripture in Galatians 6 because I was processing with Mike Rizell and some other issues in regards to the church. And this passage ministered to my heart. As you recall last week when we studied 
these three things about integrity, duplicity, and hypocrisy. Integrity is being one integer, whole number, where your spirit and your body are one. You're operating in character. What you say, you do. Now every human being fails, and that's where duplicity comes in. We wanna do this, but we don't. We don't wanna do this, but we do. Everyone in the room is guilty of duplicity. All of us long for integrity. But the thing to avoid is hypocrisy. Where you want the accolades and you want to be ascribed that character, but you don't possess it and you're faking it. Mike wouldn't let you get away with that. Neither would my dad. That's missing in our generation. And as I was flying back, I opened this passage, the one I read to you. Brethren, it begins by speaking to all of us who claim the name of Christ. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Oh, that hit me. I was anything but gentle with Mike Rizzell. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I held him accountable for lording it over all of the discipleship students in the, in the Ignite program. He would lord it over them. Do you realize what we've done for you? And while I'm correcting him on this, I'm at the same time saying, do you realize I don't want to be here and what I've done for you? You picking that up? The spirit of gentleness had exited out the window late that night. Bear one another's burdens. That's an interesting one. The the word bear one another's burdens means you get your shoulder under it and you lift it. Mike Troy did that for my dad. So did John Sanford. Danny's football coach did it for him. Scoutmasters, assistant scoutmasters. They lifted my burden. Not that my son's a burden or I was a burden to my father, but the raising. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. That jumped out at me. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But that law of Christ kept ruminating in my mind on the flight back. And it took me back to Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing Jesus and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? We've studied this. Jesus responded. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all. And the word all is all. 
on these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. Everything in the Old Testament is in these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Every time I read that, one of my favorite responses, and I always try to preempt it, anyone in the congregation responds by saying, I can't love someone else until I first learn how to love myself. There isn't a commandment you can add to what Jesus says that, would, that is more effective than saying, I need to learn to love myself first. There isn't a commandment you could add more effective to negate what Jesus said than that statement. We already love ourselves. I can't love others until I first learn how to love myself. The problem with adding to the commandment is we already love ourselves. And as I've often said, when you see a family portrait, the family portrait is good or bad based on how who looks. I'm just pausing for emphasis. We love ourselves. And I, I, I proved that this week for my own. You see, Galatians 6 requires that in humility, gentleness, self-examination, we lift, put our shoulder under someone else's burden at no return for ourselves. It means that we endeavor with them. We reconcile. We restore. It's exhausting. And in the process of doing that, you find, in the process of doing it, you're guilty of doing the same things that you're holding them accountable for. And it, they switch roles. You're like, what happened? And it's frustrating. And someone said to me, why are you doing this for Pottersfield? Why did you get involved? Countless people have asked me. And I said, because I'm commanded to. I'd rather not. But interestingly enough, this is what makes the church different than any other organization in the world. We believe in reconciliation and restoration. We believe that human beings can be restored. Guys like Mike Troy and John Sanford can look at a kid going nowhere and lift a father's burden and make a difference. The church is called to that. You see, the problem is, the passage reads, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass. Overtaken means you're running a race and someone overtakes you and passes you. It means that you're being chased by a predator and you're overtaken. 
And as that's in Galatians 6, Paul kind of gives you an understanding of it in the previous chapter when he writes, you ran well, but who hindered you from obeying the truth? You were running a good race, but you were overtaken. Who hindered you? Who bit your heel and tripped you up? What happened? And as I was reading the context of Galatians 6, the realization that any Christian, no matter how hard they try, is never beyond temptation or mistake. I was comforted because I was in the midst of temptation and mistake in trying to restore and reconcile another human being. I I fell into the same trap. I was overtaken. We switched roles. And I was making it all about me. Do you realize I could be back with my sons and I could be with my wife? Do you understand that I don't have any dog in this fight and there's no remuneration for me in any of this? Do you realize I'm missing my friend's memorial service? I'm sleeping in a dumpy place in Kalispell. I don't even want to be here. I had to talk to the attorney general's office. Do you know? And then we, we justify it with the HALT acronym. HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. That's when we give ourselves permission to be self-focused. You don't understand. I am, I, I'm on this diet and I'm so hungry. And I'm angry right now because I'm not with my family and I'm lonely. I just, I don't know anyone here and I'm just tired. And God's like, you're hungry? Why don't you get something to eat? You're angry? The anger of man doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. Calm down. You're lonely? Call your wife. You're tired? Take a nap. There's work to do. I've commanded you. And don't forget, Rob, you're never as tired as you think you are. Okay? (laughs) We justify switching roles because somehow we feed the flesh and we feel as though we have the, the justification to be that way. And we're in the right. We've been wronged. And for the Lord to say, love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself, these two commandments... And as I was interacting with Mike Rizell, the picture to me was, he would always tell me, it was never in my intention to hurt these kids. I go, yeah, but your actions did. But I was always sincere in my intentions. I said, I get that. And it's a lesson I've taught you many times that I put into application. I go, Mike, you want to be judged on your intentions, not your actions. Everybody wants that. Anyone who confronts me, I'm always going, well, that wasn't my intention, that wasn't my intention, that wasn't my intention. Yes, but your actions. But when somebody wrongs me, I judge their actions. Ah, I don't care what your intentions were, you hurt me. And I want, I want, I want what I'm owed. And God says, Love your neighbors yourself. Switch that. If you want to be judged on your intentions, then why don't you extend to them that which you desire for yourself because you love yourself. And if you're going to switch the roles and love your neighbors yourself, then you're going to judge yourself on your actions and you're going to judge them on their intentions. 
Could you imagine how revolutionary that would be in our culture if we applied that truth? Love hopes all things. We give each other the benefit of the doubt. We're slow to anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath. The Bible says your sins will find you out. I mean, there's times where it's cut and dry. But having been tried in the court of social media, I can see why he's, he's frustrated, but in the same regard, do you understand why they feel this way? Have you ever tried to step into their lives? You're worried about you, but did, do you realize that, yeah, you were pulled over for a speeding ticket and you feel like you got a life sentence, but the reality is every one of these kids is hurting, and you did that. And as I'm laying this on him, I'm thinking to myself, do you understand how tired I am? And I just caught myself in the middle of it that the Lord wants us to restore and to reconcile. And Paul lays it out as he comes into Galatians 6. He, he sets the stage in Galatians 5 and he writes in verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the love is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. It's amazing how justified we become when somebody has wronged us or someone we care about and how justified we become to devour them instead of loving them. Love your neighbors yourself. It brings us back to this. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, remember Paul said, you ran well. Who hindered you? Who overtook you? You were running this race and someone overtook you. Who did it? How did this happen? You've been overtaken in a trespass. And you know this, every one of us is duplicitous. We want integrity, but in the course of our life, we are all subject at any moment to temptation and failure. I failed 16 times before I got to go home. And I'm never as tired as I think I am, and I'm never as weak as I think I am. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I need to keep my eyes on the author and finisher of my faith. I can, in me, that is in my flesh dwells no good thing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In my weakness, God's strength is perfected. If a man's overtaken in a trespass, it's not a habitual sin. He, he or she blew it, and it hurt you. But you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of Gentleness. Do you understand? Gentleness. The idea is meekness. Meek is a bit in a horse's mouth. This little piece of metal controls this mighty beast. Right, left is the master poles. Gentleness, meekness, the Lord's telling you, ah, calm down. Gentle answer turns away wrath. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Endeavor, love hopes all things. It's two o'clock in the morning and he's still looping. But then again, I'll just endeavor with him. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Overtaken in a trespass. 
duplicitous. I know their intentions were to do right, but their actions failed. They're not hypocritical because they recognize they're wrong. And the fascinating thing about not being a man or a woman of integrity, where your character, you're, you're, you're not whole. Integrity, you can't stand upon that character because it hasn't been established yet. And in the life of the body of Christ in this duplicity, there's three types of sin. The first sin is secret. The Bible says all things are laid bare before the eyes of God. It's a secret sin between you and the Lord. He's trying to get your intention to make you whole, integritous. And you don't yield. And so the consequences of your duplicity spreads. And then it hits a select few, which becomes a private sin. And the private sin, if the secret sin wasn't repented of, the private sin can be repented of by simply addressing the ones you've offended and reconciling and restoring. But if you still are duplicitous and you haven't come to a place of yieldedness and you've been overtaken in that trespass and it's still consuming you, God's more concerned with his reputation than he is with ours. And so he'll allow that secret sin to become a private sin and then he's gonna allow it to be a public sin. And in a public sin, it all comes crashing down in 72 hours. But whether it's secret, private, or public, it still requires restoration and reconciliation because the scripture says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That word restore will come to momentarily, but look again what Paul sets up in Galatians 5. I say then, walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. It's all done by love. And everyone gets off the rails and everyone gets overtaken, and we restore one another by love. And as I, I went through Galatians 6, the Lord revealed exactly what my role was, and he corrected me, and I pray it does the same for you. It's real simple. In verse 1, we're to restore by way of leading spiritually. And we do that in the way of gentleness and humility. We restore by way of watchfulness. We're mindful of all the circumstances and situations that they're facing and we want to step into this picture and we want to step into this picture and we're an intermediary to try to let them understand both sides of the equation and we want to do it in a gentle way and we want to do it spiritually with God's wisdom and we're pressing into the Lord. And you get tired and you're going back and forth and you want to quit but you have to realize it's not about me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow the Lord, quit whining, quit switching the roles and as I kept reading on the plane, it said restore by way of burden bearing. Get under there, lift it up. Yeah, but what's in it for me? It's not my burden. Well, neither was his, or our burden his. We needed a savior. Our death was demanded by our actions. He lifted us. He died in our place. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He put that shoulder under, uh, under the Via Dolorosa and carried that cross. 
He was tempted in all ways, yet was without sin. He, 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 he sweat as though were drops of blood. He poured out every drop of blood. He got under it. He lifted us. We bear one another's burdens. We restore by way of weakness. We go in there because we're in the position of control. And you've wronged me or you've wronged somebody and I'm the one who's now doing the restoring. So you're going to shut up, do as you're told and like it and I'll tell you. And we love to be in the position of, of dominating the victim. Or excuse me, the, the, the victimizer. The body of Christ is different. There's either victors or victims. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And we come with this spirit of weakness that in my weakness, Christ's strength is made perfect. Lord, I, I don't know how to work with this person because they frustrate me. And, but I yield. And I'm watching how difficult the process is. And the worst part of the process is this idea of self-examination. Because every time I'm, I'm in the thick of it, I realize, wait a minute, i got to observe where I'm failing here. When did this become about me? I'm here to help. Why, why, am, I, why am I being scrutinized? Maybe you're not picking up on any of this, I just thought. And then the way of personal responsibility. I, I yield my life to the Lord. It, it's not my will, but thy will. Lord, I, I want to I be in this for the long haul. And I love that Galatians 6 emphasizes this word restore. We love the idea of forgiveness. That's why we're all here. We've been forgiven. The Lord says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you yours. Matthew 6. We've been forgiven. We want to forgive. And we, we understand forgiveness. We understand reconciliation. We understand that. That forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is putting the consequences of that person's actions in the hands of the Lord and moving on with our life. I trust that God will handle it from here. I'm no longer going to think how I'm going to get, you know, re uh, how I'm going to get back at you. I'm going, to, I'm going to let the Lord handle that. I'm not going to give you the, the key to the cell in which I'm entrapped of unforgiveness and bitterness. I'm going to unlock it and I'm going to move on and God's going to take it. Okay, that's forgiveness. But doggone it. He adds in Galatians 6 this word that just frustrates me. Restore. The word restore. Bring back. Reinstate. Return something to its former condition or position. I don't get anything for helping at Potter's Field, but I had travel expenses that they're reimbursing and they don't have any money because we can't sell property. So I said, in lieu of the money that's owed, there was this jalopy of a vehicle 
And I said, I'll take that. I don't know what I've done. It's a 62 Ford Fairlane. Who wants a Ford Fairlane? And it's not even a coupe, it's four doors. It's like an old man's car. And if you have one, you're not old. And it's, and it's old. I mean, it's... And I don't fix cars. But as I looked at this thing, it spoke to me, and I don't know why. And in first service, Mike Snow was here, and he restores cars. And I said, and the Lord put you, Mike, on my heart. To... <laughs> but what does it mean to restore Bring back a previous right practice situation, reinstate, return something to its former condition. I mean, there's some pictures for you of restoration. And you know what the amazing thing is about restoration? Anyone who understands what's taken place for those two photographs to be what they are understands the amount of exhaustion and time You brought it back to its original beauty when it was first sold, when it first came off the conveyor belt, the assembly line. Attention to detail, countless hours, studying, trying to understand how it operated, getting back to its original intent. Countless hours, and the difference between cars and people these cars don't rebel. Some people work on them and think they do, but you're just living in your head. People are difficult to restore. And the reason why they're difficult to restore is because the one who's restoring switches roles. And they need restoration. We're going back and forth trying to yield our life and love our neighbors, ourself, and self-examination and gentleness. And that car spoke to my heart because in a 62 Ford Fairlane, I saw the potential of what it's like to have your life restored. What Mike Troy did for me. What John Sanford did for me. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. We're in the business of restoration because as we are here every Sunday, God doesn't see us in our sin. He sees us in that beautiful restored condition and he wants us to endeavor as a body of believers for the world to see that this is where you come to restore a human heart, not a car. Restoration's hard. Somebody asked me, why are you doing it? I said, because I'm commanded. The Bible says the gifts and the calling of the Lord are irrevocable. And this whole message was inspired because of a two-year process. I don't know how long it took to restore those cars behind me, but this has been a two-year process of the restoration of a human being. Two years ago in the fellowship, one of the hardest things I ever had to do was to remove somebody from ministry. Churches don't do church discipline anymore. 
And the sin had gotten from secret to private to public. And this person was beloved and still is. But this person hurt people. And I had to remove them from ministry. They had been overtaken. But they wanted to be reconciled. And they wanted to be restored. And it required a lot of work. Bible studies and sitting with the people that had been hurt and reconciling with them and listening and owning it and humbling yourself. And in the same process, the ones who'd been hurt had to switch the roles because you don't want to be lording it over them. You want to do it in a spirit of gentleness and watching the whole process. It's equipped me to help with Potter's Field. But going through this and watching the elders step in to help and taking them through this lengthy Bible study process and dealing with each claim and each issue. And it's tiring. But guess what? It's not about me. And you're never as tired as you think you are, and you're never as weak as you think you are. And the character's worth it, and, and the transformation's worth it, and the finished product's worth it. And I share all that because today, through that restoration process, today, we get to see the fruit. Everyone is in agreement. All offended parties have come together that have spoken. Those that have been willing to engage in this and, and take a wrench and a cleaning rag and put their sweat and equity and their heart into it in gentleness. We now come to a place where today, with great joy, we get to reinstate Marty Richter as Pastor Marty Richter. Can I have elders and pastors come on up? Elders and pastors, come on up. You got that? You are, uh, you're witnessing what makes the church special. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We get overtaken in a trespass. But God's in the business of the work he began. He's faithful to complete the gifts and the calling of the Lord are irrevocable. The calling to ministry has always been ingrained in his DNA and, and he, he's fit for this. But there's a season where you're overtaken and through a process of not only reconciliation but restoration, endeavoring, and watching as folks who'd been offended 
applying Galatians 6 and Marty yielding and watching this move of God's Spirit, this is a profound miracle of God that you only find in the body of Christ. And so, God, we give you the glory. We praise you and we thank you. And by the power of your Spirit and by your, your blood on, on Calvary that was shed for the remission of our sins, and by you, Holy Spirit, that brings this spirit of reconciliation and restoration with great joy, God, as you have forgiven us so we forgive one another. With great joy, Lord, we thank you that you have restored this man. And we declare him Pastor Marty Richter in Jesus' name. Amen.